0: Wherever Christianity has gone, learning and education has followed. Wherever Christianity has gone, schools have sprung up in town squares and rural villages. From grammar schools to universities, rigorous education is a Christian virtue. You see it in the 4th century with Augustine. Just read his De Doctrina Christiana on Christian Teaching, a book about education. Or in schools like the Vivarium of Italy, Established by Cassiodorus in the 6th century, a haven for learning, writing, Christian training, and the preservation of learning from the ancients. Or schools like the cathedral schools of the early Middle Ages in Europe, the epicenters of advanced education in the Western world. Or schools like the Puritan schools of the early American colonies, who published the first textbook in the Americas, the New England Primer. In fact, Puritans are one of the big movers behind the expansion of education in America to include more than nobility and professional clergymen. For the Reformed and Protestant Christian, universal education of children was an outworking of the doctrine of the priesthood of all believers as it applied to normal human discipleship. If we're all priests, boys and girls, men and women, clergy and lady, nobility and laborer, then ought we not all be able to access the scriptures ourselves? to read, and write, and reason clearly? Prior to this time, the vast majority of education had been an undertaking only for the clergy or the nobility. And so to that end, Protestants in 17th century America even passed laws requiring communities to create and support basic education in their communities. The oldest of these laws is found in the Old Deluder-Satan Act of 1647 in Massachusetts, which reads as follows, It being one of the chief project of that Old Deluder, Satan, to keep men from the knowledge of the scriptures, as in former times keeping them in an unknown tongue, so in these later times by persuading from the use of tongues, that so at least the true sense and meaning of the original might be clouded by false glasses of saint-seeming deceivers and that learning may not be buried in the graves of our forefathers in church and commonwealth, the Lord assisting our endeavors, it is therefore ordered by this court and authority thereof that every township in this jurisdiction, after the Lord hath increased them to the number of fifty householders, shall then forthwith appoint one within their town to teach all such children, as shall resort to him, to write and read whose wages shall be paid either by the parents or masters of such children or by the inhabitants in general by way of supply, as the major part of those that order the prudentials of the town shall appoint, provided that those which send their children be not oppressed by paying much more than they can have them taught for in other towns. And it is further ordered that where any town shall increase to the number of one hundred families or householders, they shall set up a grammar school, the masters thereof being able to instruct youth so far as they may be fitted for the university. And if any town neglect the performance hereof above one year, then every such town shall pay five pounds per annum to the next such school till they shall perform this order. In this episode of the King's Hall, we'll talk about how Christian education relates to the new Christendom and to ordinary covenant succession. And along the way, We'll try to talk to you into starting glorious, rigorous, soul shaping Christian schools. The King's Hall podcast exists to make self ruled men who rule well and win the world. Well, welcome back to another episode of the King's Hall. My name is Brian Sauvay, as always, joined by my good friends. Daniel Burkholder, Eric Kahn. Say hi to the listeners, guys. I actually go by Leroy Jenkins. You now. go by Leroy Jenkins now. <laughs> Leroy Jenkins. All right. Jenkins. Okay. Starting it out on a classy note here Always in the King's Hall. Always I mean, classy. Come on. Kings, not jesters. That's what we are. That's right. That's what we are. Well, we're glad that you've uh, tuned in here with us as we continue uh, in season one here, talking about the work of building the new Christendom. And one of the features of this work is that it's going to be definitionally an intergenerational work. You don't build Christendom in five years, and then do it again every generation. It's something that you're building and putting together over multiple and many generations together. And, and that means that it's a project that will need to be handed off at varying stages of development from one generation to the next. And so for the fast past few episodes here in season one of the King's Hall, we've been talking about covenant succession, this mechanism, the normal means by which God intends for The covenant to be handed down from father to son, mother to daughter, along with the values and practical tools needed to live Christianly in every part of what it means to be human, to build, to occupy, and to defend the walls of the new Christendom. And and if you've been listening for any length of time, you know that God has just designed it this way. He's designed it such that the normal everyday means of living life, Coram Deo, which is to say before God. As men and women, and husbands, husbands and wives, fathers and mothers, churchmen, citizens of nations, that those normal means would serve as potent channels of God's covenant-keeping grace. We'd say that unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor in vain, uh, those who labor, labor in vain. But the Lord delights to build the house.
1: And I don't know, Brian. It kind of sounds like Christian nationalism to me.
0: Well, uh, <laughs> of course not, Christian. Nothing so. Um, Evil and abominable as Christian nationalism. Eric, politics are fundamentally evil and wicked and sinful. Christians should just look at it and say, icky, and then let the Democrats have it. Am I right? That's exactly right. And all this talk
1: about thinking that your kids will be Christians.
0: Oh, I'm sorry. What I meant was, roll the dice, who knows?
1: <laughs> roll the dice, who knows?
0: <laughs> yeah, it's just totally random. It's The Covenant's totally random. Give them all Snapchat and see how it turns out. See what out. happens. They'll be fine. I mean... They'll be fine. There's a lot. They could They could maybe end up on a Christian website. Give them a smartphone. <laughs> who, who knows? Who knows? Well, we don't. Uh, yeah. So, yes, Eric, this might involve even things like nations, politics, applying the text to your life, that sort of thing. You know, and, and one of the things that we actually do believe, believe it or not, is that uh, one of the most important aspects of this everyday work of covenant succession is Christian education, Christian education. We actually think that as Christians uh, intentionally educating our children Christianly has an effect on the outcome of whether or not they're Christians, what kind of Christians they are, whether or not they are pink haired apostates shaving the sides of their heads. And I don't know, you know, doing drugs all day, that kind of thing. We think that they're related. (laughs) You could draw a line.
1: This reminds me, what's the British guy in top gear? Oh, a Jeremy Clarkson? Jeremy Clarkson. He's like, you should buy a fast car so that you can get home quicker in the evenings, you know, so your kids don't turn out to be glue sniffers. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes. We're saying that there's an even stronger connection <laughs> yes. between educational methods and...
2: Christian yeah. education and fast cars. And glue
0: sniffing. And right. glue I sniffing. hear you. And Absolutely. Looks like I picked the wrong week to quit sniffing glue. <laughs> Eric, you. that's huge. That's huge. That's huge. That's Eric, huge. what you just said, that's huge. Huge. So, what we're going to talk about in today's episode is Christian education as we continue mining this theme of covenant succession and the importance of this ordinary covenant succession between generations uh, in building and seeing the new Christendom established. And so, there are three big principles that will order this episode, and I'll give them to you here up front. Three huge principles. Three huge principles. And glorious. And glory. They are both huge and glorious. And I those mean, things could, often go together. You could have 12 principles. 12? Oh, Easy. Yeah. Easy. I was trying to like be self-controlled. I thought there should be like, I, when you said you were doing the outline, I was like, okay, there's going to be 37. 15 points. episodes. It's going
2: to be an entire season.
0: Yeah, in season 1A of season 1 of season 1. <laughs> I'm lost. I'm lost. As we all are. Principle 1. First principle is that Christian education is not optional, right? Christian education is not like an optional accessory that you may or may not add to your parenting and be faithful. Christian education is a non-negotiable. We're going to defend that. Number two, and make friends as we do, as usual. Second principle is an application of that first one. And the second principle is this. Therefore, Christians should be known for starting schools and particularly starting schools. And here we'll talk about why schools are the thing that I believe we should aim for over time. And we'll talk about Christian education as a principle versus how you land it in different types of education. And the third principle is very practical, basically answering the question, what kind of schools? And to put it simply, we would say, principle three, these schools should be unbought, unapologetically Christian, historically rooted, rigorous, And they should equip students to read well, think well, speak well, write well, and live well. And there will unpack there were five aspects of that definition, and we'll walk through those briefly here. So the the reason I only have three principles is that my third principle includes five more.
1: (laughs) It's actually five points. You'll notice
0: it's an accordion folder. It's a
1: very Calvinistic third point.
0: I used to get criticism, believe it or not, listeners. I used to get criticism early in my preaching career. That uh my sermons were too complicated. Can you believe that? I can't Ooh, believe it. The audacity that people had to bring that criticism. What's wrong with 27 points with 13 subpoints? I each? mean, you've silenced them with your just it's obstinate clear. continuation <laughs> of your oh, doing the same exact thing. No, uh yeah, that's uh that's true. That's true, listeners. It's true. And everybody who made that criticism
3: I don't care what these blue haired freaks say.
0: I'm I'm so sorry. <laughs> So, but you haven't changed. But I haven't changed. So. Hey,
3: I, wait, wait,
0: wait. I resemble that remark. Hey, there's only three <laughs> to eight points. <laughs> yeah, three here. to eight points. All right, moving on. Let's let's unpack and define and unfold in all of the preacher words this first principle and then and defend it. And that's simply that Christian education is not optional. So, gentlemen, why shouldn't we allow Christian education to be considered an optional sort of thing? Why would we be willing to say no? You ought not send your children to the government schools. Because that's a moral—that's that's a saying. If if you should not do something, you're kind of saying that that it's often sin to do it. It's a pretty big statement. So why would
1: we say that? Yeah, I, I think it's interesting, first of all, that this one to us, I think in our circle, seems obvious. Christian mm-hmm. education is not optional. But yet, among Christians, this is one of the most controversial oh. things you could say. Right. Um, I, I, you know, we've heard all the objections, you know, I'm sending my kids as missionaries to a public school, Totally, but, but I, to answer the question, why shouldn't we allow Christian education to be, you know, why is it, why is this not optional? I would say because number one, you can just pragmatically look at the results. Not that, mm. that that's everything. Sure. Clearly we have commandments in scripture, Deuteronomy six, Ephesians six, other places. They're very, very clear about the responsibility of fathers to rear their children with a Christian education and formation. Mm-hmm. All for that. But pragmatically, you can simply look at this and say Christians are getting annihilated mm-hmm. in the culture war because of this central issue. I, I heard somebody say it the other day Christians reproduce in the bedroom, pagans reproduce in the classroom. Mm. Ouch. They're stealing your kids, people. Yeah. Wake up. That's the bottom line here. Yeah.
2: yeah, I think it comes down to how you define the word education. Yeah. You know, because that's where you really get a foundation yeah. of misunderstanding. Because if you say, well, education is just the transfer of information from human being to human being, mm-hmm. you know, through written word or through a teacher or what have you. So it's just downloading information into your, your child.
1: Neutral facts. and Yeah, it's yeah.
2: just facts. It's just data. You know, just give them data and you're just selecting this data, not that data, you know, in a certain order and sequence. And, and uh, I mean, I'm using computer sort of technology and machine sort of uh, vocabulary for a reason because it does treat... Children like brains on a stick. Yep. You know, they're they're uh, a USB drive that you're just downloading. And so you could see then where a Christian would say, well, it doesn't matter who teaches, you know, little Johnny algebra. If it's a pagan or if it's a Christian, the data is the same. So yeah. why does it matter? It's because fundamentally that's not what education is. It's one of the things that education does is that it that is transferring information. Yeah, But it's far more than that. I would say that education is discipleship. Not all discipleship is education, but education is discipleship. It
1: shapes your loves.
2: Absolutely. Uh, a student when he's fully mature will be like his teacher.
0: Luke 6:40. It's
2: yeah, it's not just, hey, yep. there's some information. I have this information. I will give it to you, just plug in essentially and I'll download it into your brain. It's far more than that. It's it's mannerisms, it's values, it's yeah. loves, yeah. it's hates. Yep. It's it's your your morals, what you find to be true, good, and beautiful. Yep. All of those things are shaped by your teachers, by the books that you read. Yep. And so why is it not optional? It's because this is the front lines of the culture war that you talked about. This is the formation of worship. Yeah, It's, it's Sunday morning, yes, absolutely that. Absolutely, Sunday morning, worship. But the rest of the week, when you're raising up a human being, like forming a human being, uh, in, in education, forming their loves and their hates, what is good, what is true, what you're doing is you're building a worldview. And so why is it that pagans are winning people, uh, you know, the the culture war in the classroom is because they're forming people into their image.
3: Yeah.
1: Yeah, and I would also say, like, look, the, the Frankfurt School critical theory, uh, Herbert Marcuse, post-World War II, they come to America, uh, this whole new left that's infiltrated college campuses, and then public education. Look, if you do nothing else, read the enemy's playbook. Look at what they did. Look at how they won the culture over generations. It was the long, slow march through the institutions. And they captured education, and now they're very easily capturing the hearts and minds of children. And that's shaping the entire culture, the entire political discourse, uh, all that stuff. So I, I think if nothing else, you look at that and you say, okay, that was the play. It worked really well. Why does it work? Yeah. Why does educating children in a certain worldview and that formation, why does it work so well? Because God has clearly hardwired children to be these very moldable yeah. small people. They're wet concrete. They're, yeah, exactly. Yep. And so when we look at that, we, we we ought to be smart and we ought to say, well, that worked really well for the enemy. Yeah. And it's because we failed in our covenant duties yes. to do what we as Christians were supposed to be doing. We A yep. lot of people got duped. Look, I understand that. Yep but we didn't do what we were supposed to. And now we need to reclaim that
0: ground. Yeah. It's, you have to start as a Christian with these programmatic principles that inform all of our decision-making things like, you know, when you're, when you're trying to figure out what your marriage should look like as a Christian, you don't start by saying, how do, how would we get along better? How would I get my wife to have sex with me more? If you start there, you're like three quarters of the way through the conversation. It's like starting reading a book on chapter 19. You need to ask first, what is marriage? And how do I know what marriage is? What does success look like with this thing? Well, what are our children? What are our children? They're blessings. They're blessings from God. Children are a heritage from the Lord, Psalm, the Psalms say. So you look at that and you say, what, what are blessings? Well, blessings come with job descriptions in the scriptures. We say this a lot at Refuge. Blessings come with job descriptions. When God gives you strength, which is a blessing, it comes with the job description, use your strength, to serve God, love your neighbor, basically fulfill the law. When God gives you a wife, that's a blessing. He who finds a wife finds a good thing. And it comes with a job description. Love your wife. Lay your life down for her. So when he gives you children, it comes with a job description. What is that? Well, fathers, raise your children in the paideia and neuthesia of the Lord, Jesus Christ. What does that mean? Well, it means disciple them. Like Dan, you were saying, The job description that come with our children is discipleship. And what you have to realize when you ask the question of education, you have to say, what is education? It's actually a subset of discipleship. Discipleship's the big umbrella, and it includes more than just education. But one of the big headings underneath that umbrella is education. And then you realize that you are not free as a parent. This is why we use the word ought. You ought not send your kids to the government schools. You are not free if you understand the scriptural commandments to send your children to learn most, to learn the, the nature of reality on most subjects under the sun from pagans. You're not free to do that. Yeah, in a way that they're teaching
1: opposite to the biblical worldview.
0: Yeah, and, and here's the thing. Like, I love what Doug Wilson says in his case for classical Christian education. He said, the ground for the necessity of Christian schools lies in this very thing, that no fact can be known unless it be known in its relationship to God. And once this point is clearly seen, the doubt as to the value of teaching arithmetic in Christian schools falls out of the picture. Of course, arithmetic must be taught in a Christian school. It cannot be taught anywhere else. And what he's getting at, and that's end quote, what what he's getting at is this. Why does two plus two equal four? Why does light travel at 299,792,458 meters per second in a vacuum? And the Christians are the only ones who can answer those questions. And the answer is because Jesus is Lord. The answer is because he has created all things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. He's before all things, and in him all things hold together. And until you can relate any point of fact to that central fact around which everything ought to orbit, you don't know anything. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowing things, the Proverbs says, of knowledge and of wisdom, of knowing what to do about those things.
3: It might
2: sound silly a little bit. To say, like, well, the reason that math works is because Jesus yeah. is Lord. But just one of the one of the principles of God is that he doesn't change. Yes. That's that's who he is. He doesn't change. Why does math work today the same that it did yesterday? And it will work the same tomorrow. Yep. Uh, to, to the person with a, a materialistic, naturalistic worldview, they actually don't know that that's going to be the case. They say we don't know. Two plus two might equal 4.1 tomorrow.
0: Mm-hmm. I, I mean, or the change uh, the speed of light will change, or something like that. And, and we've not, have you measured the speed of light six hundred million light years away from the Earth? You don't know if that's the speed of light there, right? You're assuming it yes, is. There, it's, yes, it's, there's a lot
2: of mystery. But yeah, but my point is that math doesn't change because God doesn't change. He's set these. He's saying something about yeah. himself with the way that math works. He's saying that I don't change. Yeah, and he, these are the, I am a God of order. Yes. And this is the
0: order. This is this is the equation of the universe. Yeah. That this will be true. So he's made the he's made this world knowable and consistent so that it can accomplish his purposes and glorify him. You no, know, and when we when we just back up and we say okay, so there's no such thing as a neutral fact. There's no such thing as a neutral education. Therefore, every subject must if it's to be properly and thoroughly known, it must be known in its relationship to the lordship of Christ. So so Then you just go to the positive commands of Scripture and you say, I don't know how anybody could conclude after reading the Old Testament and New Testament positive commands about parenting that God would be perfectly fine with us saying, you know what, six to eight hours a day, five days a week, 100 or 200 days a year, it's totally fine if we send our kids to non-Christians to learn about everything other than theology. Well, and it's
1: interesting too, but I mean, so, one of the things that years ago, you know, over a decade ago, sold me on at the time homeschooling mm-hmm. uh, was well, I'm looking at, you know, the scriptures and it says, you know, a student will become like his teacher. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, what are these teachers like? Yeah. Okay. Typical public school. I actually went to a teacher's college mm-hmm. and I'm like, well, they're all sleeping around and they live profligate lives and totally immoral. And, you know, these these ladies who are, like, a lot of them ladies, like, barely passing a really easy school... You know, while they're drinking and they're pagans and they hate God. Someone's and gonna email us. Sexual immorality. I
0: know a really kind Christian teacher. Yeah,
1: and it's funny too because people are like, "Yeah, but our school is different." And you're like, "Well, every school
0: in the in the U.S. is apparently an exception." Here, and here's the question I always ask: Okay, your school's different. Your teachers are different. So, so your teachers are allowed to t- teach that math is true because Jesus is say Lord? Jesus is Lord.
2: Yeah, say are you Jesus to do is that? Lord.
0: Do your teachers yeah. say? You can't do it. Are, are your teachers allowed to say? Uh, the, the, you know, this is what why history is the way that it is. It's because Jesus is Lord. Like, it's absurd. They are definite, they are legally bound to lie. yeah that's, On the most foundational level of education. Yeah, that's exactly right. But so, they're the exception.
1: You know, student will become like the teacher. What are these teachers like? We were driving by a school the other day, and I saw this on somebody's car in the parking lot, and it said, vaccinate your crotch goblins. Oh, boy. And I was like, oh, boy. (laughs) What do these people think about my kids and your kids? They they think that your kids are crotch goblins.
2: (laughs) 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 That's crazy.
0: (laughs) I I hope Ray puts some really good sound effect after you say that. It's probably going to be gross. Like something gross because it deserves it. I will not skip if there's a gross sound after that. The throw-up sound.
1: That's right. <coughs> That's right. Disgusting. I added my own. But, but but think about it. It's like this is what they think about your kids. Yeah. And you want to willingly turn your kids over to them,
0: and then they're going to become like that. So, yeah. So the lips of the wise spread knowledge, not so the hearts of fools, Proverbs 15, 7. When you understand the way that Proverbs defined a fool and a wise person in that passage, definitionally, if you are sending your children to be instructed by somebody. By fools. You are sending them to have foolishness sown into their heart. And what happens when you let, when when idiots, this is like simpl, simpletons in the Proverbs. Well, Proverbs 14, 18, the simple inherit folly, but the prudent are crowned with knowledge. Again, the, the Bible's not this like, there's religious stuff and, and virtue stuff over here, and then there's knowledge over here, and they're totally hermetically sealed off. They are utterly related. They're vertically integrated. Knowing things properly and knowing what to do about those things knowledge and wisdom and virtue, those are all like enmeshed in this big vertical stack. And you can't chop out one big layer of it over to the side and say, well, we're going to let all of the pagans deal with this big part of it, all the knowledge stuff. And then we'll take, we've used this before as an illustration, and then we'll take the seasoning packet of Christianity and sprinkle it over the noodles. Cause the noodles are just this neutral brick of carbohydrates. Our Christianity is the MSG and all the delicious stuff. You know, that's that's Sunday school and, and family worship. And then we, you know, and then it'll suffuse all of the knowledge and then they'll know. They'll know. They'll, they'll know, know the Lord. Oh, they'll, 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 they'll know the wisdom. They'll yeah. know reality. You're like, no, they're getting a so, false model of it. So
2: apparently. I've got a, a whole bunch of like whatabouts and yeah. objections. Okay. And so
0: I, I love it. Just off the top
2: of my head. Yeah. But we've all been to public school and we turned out all right. So yeah. Eric, your your whole argument of like, well, it's produced bad fruit. I mean, I mean, we're not liked very well, but I think we've turned
0: <laughs> out to be pretty all right. Yeah, I had so, a lot of repenting to do. Are we all that public season in my life? We're yes. all public yeah. schools. Yes. Did you? Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Oh. oh I'm, I'm K through 14 public school.
1: I'm K through 27 K through public
0: school. 14. My associate's degree through my
2: associate's
1: degree. <laughs> which I oh, just consider well, high school. then
2: I'm like K through 19, because yeah. it took me an extraordinarily <laughs> long
1: time to get 35. through college.
0: Like, no. no. I
1: also went to the yeah. Southern Seminary, so that's basically also
0: public yeah. school. The answer is, I would say, oh, oh We're making friends. The answer partly, uh, Dan, to move on and not I acknowledge what was Please save your said.
2: email. I don't want to read the email that, <laughs> that about Eric, Eric ignored about, about Eric university and You'll all that. You'll be like, but... it'll
0: open with, I emailed Eric, but he didn't answer me. Yes, he didn't. Neither will I. Anyway, okay,
1: just repent of your critical
0: race theory. That's all I'm asking. <laughs> Part of it is, um, you exceptions make bad law. Exceptions make yeah. bad rule, bad law. Yeah. or difficult cases make bad law. is another way to put it. It's like, yeah, sure, I'm a Christian, but I grew up with an enormous number of Christians in public schooling and youth group environment, and the vast majority of them are absolutely the furthest thing. They're feminists, liberals. apostates, but I repeat myself. For the project of this season to be successful, the project of seeing a new Christendom built, there will need to be thousands and thousands of Christian men and women who are equipped to stand for the truth of scripture against the errors of both the liberal church and the pagan culture. This is one reason we're so glad to be partnering with our sponsor for this season, Reformation Heritage Books. Reformation Heritage Books offers a large selection of helpful and theologically rigorous resources on everything from biblical theology to history to blue-collar family discipleship, the type of library and resources that could make the kind of men and women I just described grounded in the rich heritage of the Reformed faith. We'd like to highlight one resource in particular, their Family Worship Bible Guide that presents rich devotional thoughts on all 1,189 chapters of the Bible including searching questions to promote conversation and to help you in leading your family in such a way as to say with Joshua, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Tap the link in the description of this episode to pick one up today. That's huge. That's huge. So I think that argument's dumb.
1: Yeah, I do too. And I also, I would say that even in the early 2000s, late 90s, when I was going to school, the The drastic oh, ramp yeah. up of how bad it is
0: now, yep. um, is astronomically worse. Yeah, this is not addition. This is multiplication. Yes, that's how evil grows.
2: Yeah, I mean, in my experience though, it school was terrible, terrible still, yeah. Uh, I mean, like one of my buddies he he lost his virginity when he was in sixth grade. Oh my sixth grade
0: health teacher. To his sixth grade health teacher? No. no. Oh, okay. No, I missed that. Because my
2: sixth grade health teacher was a, a lesbian who uh-huh. had her partner in to help with the classes, like a class helper frequently, as she taught us about sex wow. and things like that. Not about, you know, homosexual sex, but it, that wasn't allowed at that time. Yeah. yeah. But but anyway, my point is that it's it's always been terrible.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And we. Well, I would say we were the exceptions. So it's kind of like saying, well, I'm just going to yeah. send my kids out to run in traffic yeah, sure. Some
0: of them will survive. Some of them made it through no, I no 15 kidding. without getting mowed down by semis. Therefore, it's generally fine. It's generally a good idea. Look, look, I'm fine. Yeah. And I would. As another kid gets mowed down behind you. I mean, to like, Brian's literally. point, even in our generation,
1: I, I would say 95% at least of the people that I went to school with outright pagans. A lot of them claim to be Christians, yeah. but not following the Lord anymore. Yep. Yeah. I
2: mean, my school did let out early on Wednesdays because of. The Catholic whatever confirmation and and because of youth group and things I thought you like were going to say like,
1: because of Packers practice no no
2: <laughs> no we would have late start on Tuesdays for Packers games on Monday no we did not we did not anyway the Packers did win by the way I don't know if you saw that
1: yeah either. by the way shout out to uh, Andrew Isker he's been raking you over the coals about them yeah you know, I don't even have, what the heck
2: because I've never even talked to him about
1: it the Vikings trounced the the Packers yeah did they yeah I I appreciate you bringing it up is football happening by right the way. Now?
2: Yeah, it's it a is. sport, Brian. Just Pigskin. Go, go back to your in? corner. Go back to your go corner. To your corner. I, the thing I, is, I, I literally I was, don't. Know. I was out killing mountain beasts. Uh, so was I. Yeah. So I didn't even get to I watch did, the game. I didn't watch it. But uh, anyway, so what? So the next thing I wanted to to sure. bring up. Yeah. By the way, since we're on it, and I've been stalling because I'm trying to figure out what my next objection was. Oh,
0: okay. Yeah. What is it?
2: Was it seems like if the scriptures were making such, I mean. Inconvenient demands yeah. on us Christianly educating our children. How come there's not more scriptural direct yeah.
0: commands about that? So, to two two reasons. First of all, it's facile to say that there aren't very many. The Bible is full of them. Full the old and the New of Testament Proverbs. Almost every time the New Testament. I feel Test- like I'm
2: being personally attacked. No, I know. I, don't believe I know this. this is not I'm yours. Setting this
0: up. I'm like <laughs> Dan. You're an idiot. No, I know Dan doesn't believe this. Reason number one, you're an idiot. No. <laughs> it's it's wrong because nearly every time the New Testament directly addresses children, it relates the duty of education and obedience to them. Number one. In the Old Testament... It ties back to Deuteronomy. Programmatic six, yeah. versus Deuteronomy 6, which is about instructing your children in the ways of the Lord as you lie down, as you get up. And many commentators, and I agree with them, posit that the book of Proverbs is uh, Solomon's attempt to obey that command as it relates to the formation of his sons, particularly to prepare them for the the vocation that God has given their lives, which is ruling, ruling well. So when you just understand that and you start going through the Proverbs, which is one of the most concentrated books of instruction on children and young people, it is full. It Again, it tells you over and over and over and over again, not just that certain spiritual duties are related to things you should believe and be taught, but that you should actually know everything, every point of knowledge should be related to the fear of the Lord or you don't know it at all. So to me, there's a slam dunk biblical case that the way we think about education today is stupid. The second thing though, the second objection I would bring is that the concept of universal education is very new historically, and it's largely the outworking in history of the Protestant doctrine of the priesthood of all believers To education, so prior to about the 1500s, education was nearly exclusively reserved for nobility and clergy, and most it wasn't expected that most children, boys and especially when you factor in girls, would learn how to read, would learn all these different skills. Right now, when the Protestant Reformation happened, you start to see Christian educators rise up out of the church, particularly theological educators, begin to posit ideas about universal education as an outworking of this concept that all of our children are priests in the kingdom of God men all of our boys all of our girls are priests to, to God it's priesthood of all believers so the first textbook was a Protestant it was Protestant be Protestant 1600s I and mean, you could go on and then we'll talk about this later in our schools section but everywhere Protestant Christians went they brought schools for for and and they brought schools with this radical idea that most people, should know how to at least get through grammar education. It's a radical idea, and it was the outworking of a theological So concept. that they could read the scriptures. Yes, and and you know that if you listen to the cold open uh, about the old Deluder Satan Act of 1647, which was a Massachusetts law, as you've already heard, Massachusetts law uh, from the Puritans, that they basically, what we call public education in America, it's actually kind of sad, the way it's been hijacked and, and ruined, really, was the outworking of their law, that they knew that Satan loved to deceive people, and so... Christians needed to be able to handle and know the word of God personally. So they needed to be able to read. And so they required by law, when you had 50 households, you had to hire a teacher to, to handle reading and, and uh, writing. And then when you had a hundred households in a town, you had to start a grammar school it was, it, or you'd be fined like five pounds per year to the next town. Cause they were assuming the next town was going to have to deal with your burden. So of your children being educated. So, so again, I would say Protestant history is against that idea. Protestants understood the need for universal Christian education. And I would say that the old and new testaments have a, a, an obvious, obvious call to Christian education as a subset of Christian discipleship for our children.
2: So then would you say that our salvation is tied then to the way that we educate our children? Because I've heard that as a charge and I do yeah. have an answer. I don't mean to put you on the spot. Yeah.
0: Well, we're not saved by grace and through faith, we're actually saved through Christian education. Oh man, that's really Just really actually wait, wait a Christian, minute, I'm education. I'm just kidding. Yeah, just No, that's classical. Christian. classical. Yeah. <laughs> no, we're saved by grace and through faith. This is this this it, it would be like asking. So you're saying, pastor, that unrepentant adulterers don't inherit the kingdom of God? That sinning through adultery is is bad? Are you saying we're saved by not sleeping with people we're not married to? I was like, "No, duh." We're talking about the commands of We're talking about the law here, not the gospel. Duh. Yeah. And this I, is 101. I, yeah.
1: Speaking of you 101, fool. 101, just the the connection between the things that justify us and the means God uses us to bring us to that salvation. Yeah. Obviously, we see both things in scripture. Education is yeah. important. God calls us to do it. Yeah. And I think sometimes in, in a lot of Christian reform camps, like we can overthink these. Like it's actually really simple. Raise your children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Okay. Yep. Got it. Let's do that. Yep. Like, let's just start there, and and that's the foundational principle, and then we're yep. going to start and build something, which I think gets into principle two. Yes. But, like, Christians ought to respond a certain way, particularly in this cultural moment, mm-hmm. uh, uh, when they see that need and that call to Christianly educate yeah. their children.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Let me wrap up. That's a good segue. Let me wrap up, wrap up this section. We'll head into the second principle here. I would say, to sum up that, We're commanded to disciple our children, and clearly, even just from a directly biblical standpoint, education is a subset of discipleship. Therefore, it is imperative that Christian parents Christianly educate their children, which entails teaching them how every point of knowledge relates to the Lordship of Christ— because our theology tells us that you cannot know anything properly about reality, knowledge, and ethics, about truth, goodness, and beauty, about metaphysics, epistemology, and axiology, about history, math, science, language, philosophy, logic, communication, physics, biology, astronomy, chemistry, mathematics, unless you relate them properly in their relationship to the grounding of all truth, which is the, the person of Jesus Christ. So you must educate your children Christianly, and that relates to everything, that re- not just this subset of theological education it relates to every point of knowledge. So point two, point two. Oh, go ahead, Eric. I'm sorry. Yeah, I just wanted to ask a practical yeah, question. Because sure. you guys, I think, have dealt with this
1: in the church. You're undoubtedly, if you preach and teach that, yeah. going to run into you know, counseling slash situations with families in the church, are you not? Yeah. Where people are saying, yeah, but I'm a teacher at a public school. Or yeah. my kids go, but wait a minute, my kids go to public school. I'm just curious if you, you've seen that, experienced it, and then and then what is, like pastorally, what do you do in that situation? What have you done?
0: Yeah, and I would say we'll give a fuller answer to this in the After Hours show. So become a patron. Nice. And that's our patron-exclusive show we do with every main episode. That would be a great topic for our After Hours. But briefly, because we'll tell more about the history of teaching this in our church, which has been tumultuous. Um, but briefly, I would say be courageous and preach the Word of God. If you're convinced, like we are, that this is obviously true in Scripture, then preach it and be willing to lose. When when you idolize the growing big, fast, and famous, as we've talked about in this season quite a bit, you will be uh, you will be absolutely a coward. You'll have a, a, a I was gonna say, well, no, I'll say it. you'll you have like a chain on your testicles, tugging. It's, <laughs> it's keeping you from being courageous and it's castrating you. Yeah, yeah don't go too far, or we'll yank them. I'm serious. Like, when you fear man, that's the picture. It's like
1: That is the fear quite man the is picture. A, it is Thank quite you the so image. much. We think about that, the, the fear of a snare. I could have said something else,
0: but yeah, it's a snare. It's
1: a snare. So, and so it one castrates
2: of, you. One of the things I would say is when you're approaching uh if you're a pastor and you're you're going to teach on this, it's very important to keep the mindset of Solomon to his sons in the Proverbs, yes. and that son, give me your heart. Yes. You want to win their hearts. Yep. You're telling this, you know, you're telling your people to do something very difficult. Yeah. Logistically. Yeah. And you must make sure that you're doing it from the right motivations, and yes. that's because you love your sheep. Not because you want to just pour burdens onto your sheep. Right. Or something like that. You're so, actually
0: saying this will be good for you.
2: Th- yeah, cuz it would be. Yep. I mean what which we'll get into. Yes. The whole the whole topic series that we're talking about is
0: covenant succession. Yeah. So, yeah. Whatever. So we're, we're assuming, actually, that many of our listeners already agree with us on some of these principles, that Christian education is a good principle, and you can lawfully land that principle in lots of different expressions, homeschooling, co-ops, cottage schools, private schools. There's there's like a hundred different arrangements that you can come to, more than a hundred, of how to land the principle of Christian education practically. Um, but what one of the things we're arguing uh, is that Christians should particularly be known for starting schools. This is a principle that I think, well, at least that I would defend. Maybe I think we'll agree. But Christians, I'm
2: pretty sure I put my reputation, I mean, my job, and know.
0: everything, everything on this on so. the, on the line here. Yeah, that's right. So we started a school. This is no, uh, no, no mystery. We started St. Brendan's Classical Christian Academy. Actually, you can get a lot of good principles that we've written on the website there at St. Academy dot academy. Academy is the one I have a hard time with. (laughs) A-C-A-D-E-M-Y. So uh, Christians should be known for starting schools. And I'll just start by saying, and then I'm going to pitch you guys a question here. Wherever Christians have gone, even in that pre-Reformation time, even though in that pre-Reformation time, it was much more focused on nobility and clergy, everywhere Christians have gone, They've brought education and they've brought schools. Wherever Christian societies have flourished, so have schools, and schools from primary to secondary and beyond, higher education as well. One example would be the Old Deluder Satan Act, which required schools. You could look at the frontier schools in the West. You could look at. uh, I actually have a little bit of a of a list here. You could look at the schools. Um, that we're doing what Augustine described in the 4th century in his book, The Doctrine of Christiana on Christian Teaching. You could look at schools like Cassiodorus led in the 7th century in the vivarium. You could look at schools like the cathedral schools in the early Middle Ages in Europe, schools like the Puritan schools in the early American uh, colonies. You could look at schools like the frontier schools in the settling of the American West. Think Little House on the Prairie. Everywhere Christians have gone, schools have popped up, not just churches, but schools as well. So the principle is Christians should be known for starting schools. and, and I want to preface this by saying, I love homeschooling. We homeschooled. I'm pro-homeschool. In fact, like most people today will not have the option of an excellent Christian school that they can afford. I mean, we were hoping to change that with St. Brendan's and expanding that model and, and establishing a model that is rigorous, affordable, not neutral unbought all of those things, but what are some of the reasons, gentlemen, why we believe that schools are actually, um, superior to homeschool?
1: I think part of it is just, uh, when it comes down to divisional labor, right? It's maybe the same reason that we would say, why is everybody in your church not a beef cattle rancher? Mm -hmm. Well, because it's really hard for everybody to do everything. And so we've sort of said, well, if we could really pool resources, Mm -hmm. And, you know, you have people like Headmaster Love who can learn Latin in In ways that I don't have time to do on a daily basis or my wife doesn't have to do um, on a daily basis or, you know, we couldn't or whatever the issue is. I think it's a way to create a division of labor that serves the whole community. Yeah. That's sort of the pragmatic level. Um, And I also think some of it, too, is just um, we've talked about like with St. Brennan's, the way that it. Brings the community even closer together in this joint work of education. Yeah. Um, that all the kids that go to the school, along with my boys, you know, we're we're really rowing in the same direction. We're united through the things that are going on with the school. So I think yeah. it becomes a point of contact where one of the things we noticed with homeschooling, um, which we did for, you know, 10 years or 12 years, I guess it was, um, was that you kind of get these individual ships just all rowing in the opposite. You know, not necessarily opposite, but just different directions. Yeah. And it really created this thing where nobody could get together and work together quite well, yeah. Because everybody's like each family chooses their own curriculum. Well, then you get in the church community, and they're kind of doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. Whereas it's much nicer actually now, where we can just say there's one direction. Yeah, we're all rowing, and and we're going there together. Um, and we can and we can do it in a way that we division of labor really helps us. Yeah, do our own thing well too in yeah. our vocations.
2: That's one of the benefits of having the body of Christ. Is that not like you said? Not every member does the same thing, right? Yeah. Not all is a mouth. Not all is a hand. Whatever. Yeah. yeah. Is essentially what you're saying. So God has equipped certain people to teach really well, and you can see that from from our teachers, and and we've all experienced like, well, that person's a really gifted teacher. Yeah. Even if they're a pagan, they've been gifted with teaching. They're really good at it. Yeah. Like I want, I, I want my boys to to learn from good teachers. Mm-hmm. I want them to have Especially men, which I'll talk about in just a moment. Yeah, that's another that are that are just godly, godly men that can really do the job of discipleship and of education well, Mm -hmm. in ways that I can't. So one of my one of the reasons I would go with schools and not homeschooling, and you can correct this. And so just to make you aware of it, Mm -hmm. so I just preface this to soften the blow a little (laughs) bit, is that homeschooling tends to be very matriarchal and. Because you have a uh, female led, the wife is usually the one doing most of the education, like the sure. active education, while while the man's working. Uh, I know there are exceptions, but that's sure. that's what ends up happening. One of the dangers of that is that women are more easily deceived and so captured by new techniques, uh, by convincing ideas and things like that. Um, that's just quoting the Bible. I'm not not inventing anything. <laughs> Dan, women are just more easily deceived.
0: Dan, like and so, I can hear the mob right now. You know what? And actually, Come at me. I don't. A-
1: actually, Dan, true. I-, I shared this on social media, and this was from personal experience, and my wife would agree with this. But as our boys started to become close to the teenage years, mm-hmm. we realized that the dynamic between like teenage boys and mom is not great, right? And and I'm not just saying ours. I'm saying that boys need to be around men, and yeah. men are responsible for the rearing, initiation, and training of other men. Yes, a, a woman cannot train a man to become a sound godly no, it's, man
2: it's actually an impossibility he that's, that's right. not how god
0: made men to work
1: but when i shared that there was a lot there was a lot of people saying like oh yeah that's absolutely true there was also a lot of howling
0: um, yeah people were pretty mad
1: but, but i think yeah. even people like Vody Bakum have said hey you know from the pro homeschool camp yeah at the age of 12 every father must fully take over the education of his children
0: well <sighs> yeah. for a
1: lot of us that simply does not work
0: Right. It's, it's practically not feasible. And so one of the things that we've prioritized in our school are male teachers in third and fourth form, which is seventh grade and above. Right when they hit that 12-ish age, we wanted to prioritize male teachers, which is a higher cost proposition since we're mainly asking men who actually support families and things like that to teach in our school. It, has, it's, it makes it more difficult, like 100%. But we are so committed to that. Because you're right, not just specialization like you brought up, but the fighting the matriarchal bent of education is I think one of the biggest opportunities for Christians to chart a course forward that would have better outcomes for the the, the students that they're discipling. Since men, you know, for young women, when they're with mom all the time, they're continually with the model that they want to be conformed to, which is a mother an oiko despot, a household manager, a mother. Well, the boys, they have to, Leon Podol's in his book, The Church Impotent talks about this a lot. They, they actually have to not reject, but they have to say, they have to as an ideal reject mom and say, my goal is not to become exactly like mom. That would be a failure if I became feminine. They have to kind of reject that as a model, depart out of the home in a sense and go into the world of men and figure out what is my model, what am I supposed to become, so that they can then properly reunite to the feminine in marriage. I think one of the other really helpful questions, totally agree with all that, is we need to look at
1: history outside of the last 100 years. Mm-hmm. It's sort of like the same questions we would have about food production in the U.S. Yeah, We have become so short-sighted about education that we think this is the way it's always been, when, in fact, there's been other generations where things have gone a lot better, uh-huh. say, pre-Industrial Revolution, where, like, from 12 and on, boys were predominantly with their fathers yeah, in the world of men. And so I think the historical perspective is also helpful here. Yeah. Um, that, you know, it would, it would be strange if you look at the last couple thousand years to see that most people were reared from birth to 20 by women. That would mm. be really strange. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. You'd see men... Young boys going out into the fields to work. Right. Maybe joining in a dad's vocation earlier, and there'd be much earlier vocational training. Yeah, and it's, I, it's along, it's
2: along yeah. the lines of the grain of, yeah. the, of created order. Of development. And of their development, who they are and their identity. So, it like you said, it wouldn't make sense for a 14-year-old boy to be at home with his mom when he is a man. Like, right. he has is, he is strength. He has ability he has knowledge to do work. Mm-hmm. That's right. And so, so this is an anomaly in human history, and and it's just, I mean, if you you want to talk about natural law, yeah. uh, I mean that's about as natural as it gets, yeah. And so, uh, that's one of the reasons that I would say that homeschooling has an inherent uh, pitfall mm-hmm. in feminizing boys, and if not feminizing boys and making disenCHANTed boys mm-hmm. that tend to retreat. That don't respect their mother, you know. You said you said your boys there was a lot of tension with mom, and, and, and it it's was because of the authority structure.
1: And it was immediately alleviated when the, look now they go to school and they got two former Air Force guys <laughs> teaching that them. they absolutely love being around. Yeah. It's good for them to have the male authority, and they respond differently. Yeah, uh, just as they do when I'm
0: there. Yeah, when you when you look at, I, I think you could kind of back up and summarize some of these benefits of schooling is that one of the ways we have explained to the church is like, and we love, we have many homeschool families to be totally clear. And one of our main goals is to head off any kind of like homeschooling versus school yeah. culture in the church. Because just when you start a school and a lot of people are already educating their children Christianly, they're deep into it. They're headed, they're committed to their model. They're going, they're homeschooling, they've got, you know, kids five years in and, and, and they're not all going to jump on and say, yeah, we'll start, we'll change it all midstream and do the school. We're a hundred percent We love those families. We're for them. Um, We're explaining why did we start a school instead of just saying, let's keep doing all the homeschooling families and give them resources. Well, we, we think that you see in communities, Christian communities, where there's a strong school somewhere around the middle, that you see the culture over time, especially over one, two, three generations, grow more like a tree than like a scattered field of lots of different things. You see... The school and the church and the home function as this growing, cohesive body, and so they grow in theological unity. The school and the church and the home are working together to enculturate a common theological aim. They grow in cultural unity. The school and the church and the home are working together to live Christianly in every part of what it means to be human. Uh, They grow over time then in unified legacy the school and the church and the home working together in all these things over generation, passing the torch and growing in specialization. And so you end up with this great redwood tree where you then have multiple generations all working together and pouring into the school. And the school is continually improving. It's not like you homeschool for one shot until your kids are grown and then you, you're done. The school is continually training and growing in its skill and growing in its majesty, growing in its potency, putting down deeper roots Getting harder to knock over, and and then one of the benefits is that that provides shade for a lot of of, of scenarios where homeschooling is not possible, usually because of sin or sin that's happened again. You know, think of a mother, a widower, she you know a widow. I'm sorry, who has multiple kids, she can't easily homeschool. Well, school can really help with that. Sometimes you have situations where sin early in life really. Jack things up and you have families that they they come as you are. You're not a third generation Christian family. You got a lot of issues you have to work through. And a school can really come alongside and help and provide mature Christian theological input that they wouldn't necessarily know where to start. So there's so many benefits as yeah. the school grows up in a community. It 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 gives the 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 potency of an institution. And, and institutions can be powerful things.
2: Yeah, I think one of the perspectives that
0: it, it,
2: most people probably don't understand where we're coming from is that we're actually leading a people. Yeah. So, as pastors, we're looking at our, our people, not just like, I'm not just looking oh. at my kids. Like most of the people that we're leading, they look at their family, what's best for their family, God bless them, yeah. you know. But w- what we're doing is we're looking down the corridors of time, 50 years plus, yeah. that we're going to be passing this on.
0: Yeah.
3: Christendom Bible College offers a one-year certificate in the humanities for students who intend to pursue a degree or for students who prefer to begin their chosen occupations upon completion of our program. Older students who never attended college or who went to a college where the humanities were less robust will also find our program stimulating and suitable. Located, steps from the Ohio River in the town of New Richmond, we're unaccredited in order to remain free to teach as our biblically-minded consciences demand. As servants of Christ, we won't wear the yoke of the woke. Instead, we stand on the shoulders of Christianity's giants, not to stew in nostalgia, but to see through the culture war's fog to the glorious days of a Christendom still to be built. Our exceptional faculty are committed to the historic, biblical foundations of our faith. Come be a part of Christendom Bible College. Visit us on the web at christendombiblecollege.org to learn more. While there, be sure to sign up for our email updates and receive your free three-chapter excerpt of our very own Dr. Frank J. Smith's new book, Race, Church, and Society. So what would be
2: best for our people? Well, it's the same way that we, you know, when we manage the elder team, we want our, our men to be eating from the same trough is what we say like yep. We want them to be reading similar things to grow in like-mindedness, to continue to 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 grow yep. but but to continue to unite. and and it's the same thing with our people. We want our students to be brought up in this rigorous uh, godly Christian uh, culture in in education led by godly men and women. Mm-hmm. you know, it, towards a, a specific direction. And yeah. so it's, it's to unite the people in a lot of ways as well, mm-hmm. because now all of our students have uh shared worldviews. They have similar yeah. experiences. Like you said, they have yep. similar, like a similar culture. And so yeah. when we, as we shepherd the flock, we look out and we say, this is the greenest pasture. Yeah, We think you would be best
0: here. Yep. It, it's are they're, they're, they're learning how to read the book of scripture, and the book of nature and observation, from the same guides altogether, they're both the curriculum, the books they're reading, and the the guides who are the teachers who are taking them through it. So they' it's it's not as if it's like one family over here is reading this history curriculum and another one this one. Like they're all learning. About the same periods of time from the same sources, and they're eating the same food, and they're they're being strengthened by that same material.
2: They're hearing the same message in chapel every yeah. morning. They're hearing learning to yeah. sing the same learning songs, the same songs. Yeah, absolutely. the rhythms the of the day traditions. with yeah.
0: prayer and tradition. They're learning decorum in uniforms, in coming and learning how to interact with elders. They have to the, keep a schedule. They have to keep a schedule. They're learning how to um, actually go out of the home and succeed in an environment that's not just the comfortable nest of home. These are all skills that are, they're also interacting with peers that are going to become the people that they marry and the people that they're lifelong friends with, the people that they start businesses with. My son and and Eric's son, one of his sons, are the two students right now in Form 2 because we, we have a small school at this point. So they're every day, Walter and Ari are just fast friends, like their butts. and I, I. wouldn't be surprised if that these few years, where they might be the a part of a very small cohort, they'll probably end up doing something together, being friends for life. And 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 these benefits you can you can simulate them, you can get them in different ways with homeschooling. And I'm not saying if you don't have a school, despair. No, not at all. What we're talking about is Christendom, guys. We're talking about if we could build anything over several hundred years, what would we want? And one of the things we're convinced you should want are mature, God-glorifying, Redwood-style schools. And so lastly, and, and we're not going to spend like, we could spend hours on these things. We're going to run through this third principle, some of the the key elements that we believe should be present in the schools that you aim to start. You could apply these to homeschooling communities or co-ops as well. I think that's also true of them, and they're broadly applicable. But again, building Christendom, we're, we're saying we, you should want to build Redwood-style schools. So- um, what should they look like? And and there are five aspects. They should be unbought, unapologetically Christian, historically rooted, rigorous, and finally, they should equip students to read well, think well, speak well, write well, and live well. So let's start with that first one. Why do we say unbought? What do we mean by that? And uh, why does it matter? Yeah, I mean, there's an old saying that says, he who
2: takes the king's coin becomes a king's man. Yep. And so that's that's as simple as it is. You take money from the government. Uh, there are strings attached. That's right. There are always strings attached. Yep. Even even if you have a school and you have a huge donor or something like that. Yes. All of a sudden they've got you know they've got say oh, and we so just can't make them mad. Just be aware that that is going to be something. I mean pastors know this. If you have uh, somebody in your church that tithes, there's a poll there, and it says. You know, the scriptures warn against it. That's why they not, explicitly not warn. To not show por- partiality. That's right. And so anyway, uh, it's, the government demands partiality. <laughs> yeah. they, they, you're not tempted. They demand it. That's right. So, so it, it, one of the things, I mean, just practically speaking, is that you can discriminate in your hiring practices. That's right. If you remain a private school that does not take any government money. So when the transgender, pink-haired, whatever, comes to your school – and you say no title line. They're gonna
0: sue you, yeah, because you did discriminate in your hiring practices. Yeah. So you take your funding, and let's say you've built a school, and now you've got thirty employees and four hundred students, and you absolutely depend for eighty percent of your revenue on federal or state funding. Your school's done; it's cooked. If next month you say to all the parents, "Hey, I'm sorry. In order to continue not hiring gays, um, you have to now pay eight hundred dollars a month of tuition that yeah. you weren't paying." In
2: Utah, there's a charter so, school model that's Fairly, Very popular. Very, yeah, it's popular uh, to get funding. And so there have been some that have started that there's claims like, well, it's a Christian school. <laughs> but they can't say, no. Jesus Christ is Lord. They're That's why this all works.
0: You would get your funding pulled right now. Yeah. You would They've,
2: get sued. Yeah. And I they mean, failed anyway. Done.
0: Yeah, I, I think they failed anyway because the Lord hates it when you lie. Yeah. And so I think the Lord judged them. Like I, unapologetically. When we looked at that 100%. school model. 100%. Capstone was the name of the school and it was like, we're this Christian classical school and we were like, no, you're not on principle and you're lying and you're lying to parents and then they closed and I'm like, you deserve to close.
1: Yeah, it's interesting too what happens to those schools over time too, the the charter schools that I've been a part of. I actually went to one Mm -hmm. uh, in high school but what it is now versus what it was, it was fairly conservative then. Yeah. had, Had kind of a good start. Now it's identical to any other liberal leftist Public school, and it, it didn't even take 10 years.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And the other side of being unbought, uh, I would say that's equally important and it's sometimes forgotten because the government funding is so big, is that you also have to be unbought in how you fund the school tuition. If you, uh, for example, if you have, let's say, some non-Christian families that like the rigor and the classical nature of your education. And they're like, yeah, we'll pay $1,400 a month per student. Let us in. We're not Christians. Well, no, you have to be able to say, no, this is a Christian school. If you're not a member in good standing in your church or it's equivalent, like we interview, we turn families down at our school with regularity. Even families who are saying, no, we'll pay tuition. And we say, no, thank you. Because the culture of our school it can be easily swayed by 10 20% non-Christian population that comes in kids looking at porn on smartphones they you know they don't believe they don't bend the knee to Christ they're the cool kids now they're attracted to the other students who are like oh look at those rebels over there they don't you know our parents they're telling us that our parents are dumb and that Christ Christ is stupid and it, no we just say no you have to be unbought and this is why it's so difficult to start schools but you have to start with this foundational we will not take money that comes with compromise, no matter what the source is. Yes. Two, unapologetically Christian. The school must be unapologetically Christian. I mean, what are we doing here? Yeah. What's the
2: point of this podcast <laughs> yeah. if this is not true? Right. Like at yeah, every but, point.
1: But, but like we, we've been a part of homeschool co-ops in the past where it's like, I remember being a part of one. And they decide to let these Mormon family come in and be a part of the Uh (laughs) co-op. And we were like, um, they're not Christians. And I remember the the people were like, yeah, but they say they are. (laughs) Well, they say they are. I was like, oh, my goodness. (laughs) But to to Brian's point, too, it's a protection of the kids Mm -hmm. and other families there. But I think this is the theological side. The the other was the money. This is the theological side of the bar has to be set really high. Yeah. One of the things, stupidly, we've done in the Christian circle for you know decades is say it's the lowest common denominator. Right. Let's just set the bar so low yeah. that almost anyone could make it in. Well, I've been a part of those things, and, and they're usually garbage pretty quick.
0: Yep. One of the things that we say about St. Brendan's is that St. Brendan's is education for the saints. And, and meaning we don't want to make pagans who know Latin. We want to make students who know the Lord. If education is a subset of Christian discipleship, we have no interest in attempting to disciple pagans. So yeah. That
2: that also means we look at the fruit of the the children mm-hmm. and how they're being disciplined and, yeah. and raised at home as well. Yep. Because if they start causing some sort of distractions mm-hmm. that are not in line with Christian yeah with Christian living, with Christian discipleship, I mean it gives an opportunity for, for church discipline, which is just basic counseling. Yeah, coming, know, alongside. coming alongside. Coming alongside and helping. Yep. But then uh, if you have uh, Christians that are outside of our church, we have very little control over that whole process. And and so anyway, all that to say, like you can lose the culture within your church fairly quickly.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So you have to say unapologetically Christian in the – There's no neutrality in any aspect of curriculum. No, we're not going to baptize non-Christian resources and say, no, we're not going to teach evolution. No, we're not. There's a lot of schools that basically replicate the public school model and curriculum and then, again, sprinkle the seasoning packet of a a chapel class over it. No, it's unapologetically Christian. It needs to be, number three, historically rooted. Historically rooted. Because, again, this whole podcast, one of the main themes of this season has been, that the Christian church is in the process of being plundered because it failed to be historically rooted. It's trying to reinvent everything, despise its forefathers and mothers, get rid of all their statements of faith, dumb everything down, make it lowest common denominator, make it big, fast, and famous, neglect doctrinal instruction. No, we need to know the story of Christ's conquest in history. We need the old paths. Mm. We need to tread the old paths.
1: Yeah, and I think you would say here historical roots would also include confessional. We're a confessional church, yes, um, and so that's going to be included in
0: St. Brennan's school. And this is why we're classical. We're not devoting a large portion of this to saying classical Christian education, but we are a classical school. And we mean that really basically that we're devoted to teaching the canon of the Western classical model, meaning it's books, history, theology, all of those things that are just our inheritance of faith from Christ's conquest through history in the West. So, classical. does that mean we've
1: not decolonized our bookshelves?
0: We have not. We've actually recolonized our bookshelves. That's part of the goal, is <laughs> recolonization. We're trying to colonize and create colonizers. That's sounds literally like, our goal.
2: Sounds like Christian nationalism. What
0: we're saying is that it's we more want like our Christian children. Christian
2: nationalism that swallows really. the whole cosmos. Christian, I think you heard me say yeah. Christian nationalism. I meant Christian imperialism. Yeah. I, I'm sorry. Yeah. Like I don't
0: want you to, <laughs> I meant our, all the nations are gonna our Christ, and uh we want our children to go out and conquer the world. That's For that's the goal. We want to make conquistadors. <laughs> this is
2: definitely going to be clipped out. Absolutely. Somewhere, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So,
0: which means it's not. Number four. <laughs> Number four, and, and this is another reason for that specialization that comes with the schooling. Uh, we, we we want our education to be rigorous. Classical school, I'm sorry, Christian schools should be aiming for rigor. In, I like what New St. Andrews says. One of their uh, models is not all rigor is mortis. Like <laughs> we have this, dis, we, dis, we have an anti-intellectual, anti-reading, anti-historical culture in America, anti-intellectual that's like... Oh yeah, if it's really hard, it's it's all uh, you know blockheads, and they're all dense, and it's all ivory tower, and it's like no, 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 no. Listen, in the Reformation, Luther was like trying to make farmers who could sing uh, sing these great theologically rich hymns while plowing their fields, and he wanted to make doctrinally equipped farmers. We're trying to make men and women, blue collar to white collar, no matter where they go, who understand history. They understand the world they live in. They think carefully. This is really getting us into the last principle, but it's rigorous. It should be challenging. Our students right now, my, my son, my sons are nine and seven. They're learning Latin and Koine Greek in elementary school. It's rigorous. Like, it's difficult. I'm looking at their homework some weeks. I'm like, I cannot help you. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Daddy did not get this inheritance that I hope you get. So rigor. Why does why is rigor important? Yeah, I think it goes back to
1: the issue of if you want your children to be conquistadors, they have to be rigorously trained.
0: I love that we've just started this whole thing now. I'm gonna make a t-shirt. I love the Raising conquistadors. conquistadors. The whole Aztecs I mean, episode. Yeah, dude. They Dang. walked up, they were like, What are you doing? Oh heck no. In the name of the Lord Jesus, die. Like that was <laughs> Yeah. But but I, I-
1: I do think, like if if we're talking about something as a you know, whether we're talking national or a group of nations um, that is able to swallow the world yeah. for Christ and the cosmos, mm-hmm. you're going to need people who are rigorously trained. Yes, um, at every level, yes. and and that's going to include physical. Um, I, I tell people this all the time. My kids are going to a Christian classical school. Uh, both of my boys can deadlift over 240 pounds now. Um, mm-hmm. We're training them. Yeah. Um, in, in every facet. Yep. Because we know that that's going to be a difficult work. Yes. Um. E- even things in family worship that that you know. What did you learn today? And they're reading me this sentence, and I don't know if it was. I think it was Latin. It was like a paragraph, yeah. and they're like, "Do you know what that means, Dad?" And I'm like, <laughs> "Of course. Uh, yeah. Duh. What,
0: just in case say I say it into this translating to app. test you. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> what does it mean?" And they know, like they they're know. learning in principio, that, rat verbum. And I think Oh, that was Alfred them.
2: the Great. Don't know if you ever Yeah, heard have of you that. heard of him? Dad. <laughs>
1: Dad. But I think I think going yeah. back to also the education and formation being tied together. Mm-hmm. Learning the Western canon is going to create a different kind of person. Yes. And that is what we're aiming at.
2: Well, if you look at yeah. Christendom 1.0, oh, we've talked about this ad nauseum on the show, but yeah. the the great works of art, the cathedrals, the the I mean the pieces that we're reading. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. That our school is based on yeah. were all written in the past because of Christians, Yeah, because they could do these things, because they had the ability to be rigorous in mm-hmm. their studies, yep. because they had a curiosity for the world that God made, and they wanted to know more about him and more about the world that he made and how it worked. Yeah, And so it should be the Christians in Christendom, the next Christendom, that make the best discoveries, yes. that write the best works, that build the most beautiful things, mm-hmm. the things that last. And so why should it be rigorous? It's because of Christianity that it can be rigorous in a way that's not like in the stereotypical uh, Asian student, like you will bring shame on your family. Japanese culture, like die, you know, die on yeah. your sword if you yeah. fail on a test.
1: You will be good at math.
2: Yeah. No, 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 no. It's because we're Christians and all knowledge and wisdom is hidden in Christ and so we can be rigorous. Yes, and we should be rigorous. Yep. And it is but, glorious when your kids know Latin, well, and it'll be great one day when they're like, "Why is Dad so dumb?"
1: <laughs> and and
2: but they'll show honor to they'll you. They'll show honor. It's just between themselves, they're like, yeah. "Dad doesn't even know Latin." I
1: mean, wouldn't you say though? Like when you look at Christendom 1.0 and their canon, mm. I mean, like how are we going to build 2.0 if we're we haven't even mastered 1.0?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you got to know the playbook. And and like to your point, Eric about. Uh, rigor and teaching your kids multiple multidisciplinary rigor it's a muscle when you learn how to do a really hard thing and I'm even talking like calculus when you learn how to do really hard math the discipline that it takes to focus on doing a math problem that takes four pages to work through I was talking to Deacon uh, and Chad King Ben Garrett about some of his homework he had an op- he had a test in engineering school where it was open book, open note, open anything. You just couldn't copy off your another student. That was it. 12 problems, and they had like 6 weeks to do it. And one problem, he would they would work for 8 hours on one problem. Really. And not finish it. And he aced it. I mean, Ben was really good at math. He's a very skilled engineer actually. And he and I was just thinking about the discipline. And now I see Ben and I look at the discipline that he has in other areas of his life. And and it's not that the math created that necessarily. It's expressed in all of it. But it's a muscle that gets bigger as you exercise it. Yeah, diligence. Diligence. Doing hard things. How many children grow up, even in Christian homes, and never do any hard things? They never climb a mountain. They never learn how to how to go hunt and do a you know really difficult like quarter an animal and carry it back to camp. They never learn how to you know. Uh, any of these difficult things, they never well, learned how to read, read a hard old book. Yeah. Very. So rigor is important. Finally, finally, lastly, number five And this one's like 15 different things. So I'm realizing I had three points and then five points under the third point. And then the fifth point of the fifth point of the third point has five points.
3: Wow. It's I'm lost. Christian
0: schools should equip students to read well, think well, speak well, write well, and live well. And here, what I had in mind when I wrote that sentence is, and we, I say this kind of sentence a lot in the school context, is basically like what we'd call the classical trivium. These three subjects, art and discipline of rhetoric, dialectic or logic and, and uh, grammar, grammar, dialectic, rhetoric. Th- these were the constituent parts and subjects of being able to handle words well and, and, and logic well. So they could read a book understand it, dissect the ideas logically that are being presented, reject some, receive some, modify and integrate others into their whole body of knowledge they have, and then communicate that well. And all of that done by a man or a woman who is living a virtuous life before God. What the, what the, the ancient Romans like Quintilian or Cicero would call a good man speaking well, that's what they were actually, these were God, I mean, they didn't know the Lord. They were aiming in their schools of rhetoric some of the roots of our classical Christian schooling comes from this. They were aiming to make good men who could speak well, not just men who were competent, but virtuous men who could handle words and and clear, subtle thinking well. And, And that's what we're trying to do in our schools. We're trying to make men and women by the time they graduate who handle words well, because words are everything. Words are life. Words are life and death to think well, speak well, and to be Godly men and women, as yeah, they do so.
2: Yeah, the value of words cannot be overstated. Yeah. Because it's built into everything. Yeah. It, it, God spoke everything into existence. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. I mean, the, the words are, are everything. Yeah. I mean, so vastly important. Who are the people that last? Those who have written. Yep. I mean, words are very important. Where does so, the
0: attack come? The dictionary. Yeah. What is a man? Oh, we're going to tell you it's words. Yeah. thinking
1: yeah even even somebody like Alfred the Great he was wise enough to know and because of the Christian tradition to write everything down, yeah, and so that's what marks that period, actually, the boys in the oldest form are reading that right yeah. now, so I've been reading that. Uh, with them, Asser's uh, I think it was works Martin.
2: On Martin was saying that you kept stealing his book or something. Oh yeah, they
1: get they get upset. <laughs> they're, they're, they're like, Dad, Dad, where's my book? Where's my book? It's really um, good. <laughs> I see a lot too. Churchill actually has uh, the uh, H- history of the English speaking people. Yes, um, Alfred the Great's in there. But Yeah, it, the, the power of writing things down so that they could be remembered, but it also becomes a way of cultural transmission. Mm-hmm. So uh, it goes back to this whole thing of passing things along a covenant succession line. That requires that things are written down. Um, It's even made me want to think about, you know, in what we're doing in our effort to rebuild Christendom, there ought to be, adjacent to that, an effort to write down some of our histories. Yes. Because I want Ari, when he's telling his children, you know, "Do, do you remember Grandpa? Do you remember Grandpa's buddies? Yeah, they were crazy. And here's what they did. <laughs> they'll be talking about us like the conquistadores, you know with
0: yes glimmer
1: and we're, glory in their eyes yeah
2: glory and there's a slight amount of embarrassment a little
0: bit of like <laughs> yeah they probably shouldn't have done that <laughs> some of that was
2: <laughs> some of that was suspect they were kind of feeling it out in the dark they
0: were fi- hey <laughs> they they only had the light they had you know they don't have they didn't have the light that they gave us there you go mm. maybe one day maybe one day well Thank you for listening, everybody, to this episode. Again, we have just touched the very, very pinnacle of the mountain here when it comes to Christian education. There is so much more underneath our feet here. There are vast treasure troves of books and lectures and information that you could read on this subject. So we hope that if you haven't thought about this a lot yet, that this kind of wet your appetite and that you'll go dive deep and you'll go do the work. And, And some of you... Some of you who are listening, I'm utterly confident, are men who need to start schools, become great teachers, become the kind of instructors that will shape immortal souls for the next generation. I love what Doug Wilson said again in his book, Case for classical Christian education. He says, One of the glories of education is the opportunity to hear the truth come out of a human being with blood in the veins and air in the lungs and not just off a printed page. So, may some of you become godly guides in Christ who can lead immortal souls into knowledge of Christ and the world that He made, curiosity, Christlikeness, competency, and all of the rest. As you do so, remember Festina Lenta, make haste slowly. This is a long project. God be with you. We'll see you next time in the King's Hall.